he says, no, I don't have any dogs in there. So I went out there and opened up the door and a little monkey jumped out <laughs> right around my neck. And I mean, he had a death grip on my neck and I didn't, it was nighttime and I had a flashlight and I thought, is this like a miniature person jumping out, man? I, I And he was a nice little guy. He didn't hurt me. But then I came in and the driver, he thought that was pretty funny. Buckle up. You're listening to Terminal Exchange. Hey everyone, I'm Philip Adams, and this is episode 23 of Terminal Exchange, the official podcast show of Newsbomb Transportation. It's that time of year again. No, I'm not talking about the end of the spring or the school year. I'm not talking about family vacations or the need to apply sunscreen, although you should be aware of the sun's effect on your skin and take the appropriate action. Skin cancer is no joke. No, it's time once again for International Road Check. I'm sorry if that's not the thing you wanted to hear, but it's here and it's really best to be ready for it. The Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliances, or CVSA, International Road Check will take place next week, June 4th through 6th. Over that 72-hour period, inspectors will conduct about 14 inspections per minute throughout the U.S., Each year, International Road Check places special emphasis on a category of violations. This year's focus is on steering and suspension systems. Checking vehicle compliance is always part of the North American Standard Inspection Program, but the CVSA is highlighting steering components and suspension systems this year as a reminder of their importance to highway safety. According to CVSA President Chief Jay Thompson, Steering and suspension are safety-critical systems for any commercial motor vehicle. Not only do they support the heavy loads carried by trucks and buses, they also help maintain stability and control under acceleration and braking, keeping the vehicle safely on the road. Furthermore, they keep tires in alignment, reducing chances of uneven tire wear and possible tire failure, and they maximize the contact between the tires and the road to provide steering stability and good handling. During road check, inspectors will primarily conduct level one inspections. A level one inspection is a 37 step procedure that includes an examination of driver operating requirements and vehicle mechanical fitness. But inspectors may opt to conduct a level two walk around uh, driver and vehicle inspection, a level three driver uh, credential administrative inspection, or a level five vehicle only inspection. The vehicle inspection includes checking critical items such as brake systems, cargo securement, coupling devices, driveline and drive shaft, the driver's seat, exhaust systems, frames, fuel systems, lighting devices, steering mechanisms, suspensions, tires, trailer bodies, wheels, rims, hubs, and windshield wipers. Drivers will be required to provide their driver's license, medical examiner certificate and skill performance evaluation certificate if that's applicable, other logbook, and any vehicle inspection reports, if applicable, as well. Inspectors will also be checking drivers for seatbelt usage, sickness, fatigue, and apparent alcohol and or drug impairment. So, make sure you're prepared for Road Check 2019. 
Grab hold of your steering linkages, put an eye on all your castle nuts, pins, and U-bolts. Listen for leaks in your airbags and airlines. Perform the air brake tests. Look for bent cross members in the area above the tandems. Try twisting the lug nuts while inspecting the hubs. Watch for bent slider clips. And inspect your brake pads looking for cracks, thin pads, oil or grease on them, and separations. Buckle up, don't speed, and make sure your equipment is in good shape. Do not hesitate to call the shop with any concerns. In this week's feature exchange, we're talking with a guy who's conducted his share of inspections. Jeff Swan served 34 years with the Wisconsin State Patrol, first as a trooper, then a sergeant, and finally as an investigator with the Motor Carrier Enforcement Unit. Jeff now uses that experience in his role as a risk advisor with H&I. H&I is a performance-driven risk advisor that delivers insurance, benefits, and de-risking strategies. They work with companies to break free from insurance dependency and boost performance. Here is our Level 1 inspection with former Wisconsin State Patrolman, Jeff Swan. Jeff, thanks so much for taking some time here to sit down with me and talk about what you're doing here, why you're here at Newsbomb today. And uh, I, 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 I'm not sure where to go from there, but All right. <laughs> I am more than happy to be here. So, uh, Jeff, why don't you, uh, you are currently a risk advisor with H&I. Correct. Correct. Who is our uh, insurance broker uh, right. for um, equipment and everything else. Correct. Uh, so what are, what does that role mean you what are you doing here what do you do as a risk risk advisor yeah well today i actually did some training for your driver trainers this is the third time i was here doing that um since the drivers here are kind of spread out it's hard to get them all together in right. one room at one time but we thought maybe if we get the driver trainers and and touch touch them it'll kind of dribble out to the regular drivers and and for sure the new drivers so mm-hmm. and it's it, this is the third time it's been pretty successful i think so far yeah. Now you've not always been a risk advisor, uh, Correct. with H and I that in a previous life and a previous career, you were actually with, uh, Wisconsin, uh, state patrol, state patrol. Right. What, what was your position there? What, what all did you do while you were there? Yeah, I was with them for 34 years. I retired about four years ago. Um, probably the first third of my career, I worked as a trooper and we seen in Kenosha counties, worked a lot of third shift, second shift. And then I got promoted to sergeant. I was a sergeant for about 10 years, and then um, I took a position with the Motor Carrier Enforcement Unit in Madison, where I was an investigator. I did uh, compliance reviews, safety audits, um, roadside inspections, data cues, those types of things. We were kind of a small statewide unit, and that's kind of what set me up for this job with uh, in retirement, supposedly, uh, with H&I. So you were essentially driver's best friend, right? I am now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure I was back in uh, back when I was working the road, but you know, I mean, I tried to keep it non-confrontational if I could. Sure. You know, drivers for the most part are pretty good. Yeah, obviously, experience and our, our drivers don't. Drivers in general don't typically look forward to uh, going through a DOT inspection and going through the the scales and and everything to get checked out and all of that. That's not usually a exciting moment for most people. Our drivers, I think, because we do well with the equipment and everything, it's not such a big deal. We reward our drivers with clean inspection. You know, if they get a clean right. inspection, they get uh, points on their scorecard. They get, like, a $100 bonus, sure. uh, things like that. So some of them are even <clears throat> like, hey, can you please inspect my <laughs> That's That was actually really quite common. I mean, those drivers, you'd, you'd, you'd be working at a scale, and they'd, 
or they see you in a rest area and they want to, hey, can you do a level one inspection on me? Because right. I'm going to get my Walmart card or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, good companies will reward drivers that way or they come into the scale and want, and we didn't do inspections that way. Right. If a driver came in and had issues they wouldn't fix, we might do that inspection. Yeah, sure. You know, but, uh, yeah, for the most part, it's a... It, it's not as much adversarial as drivers do get a little nervous, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of experience when I go fishing in Canada and you cross the border and now you're the one being, <laughs> being inspected, you know, and it does, it puts you in a different mindset, you know, and you do get a little anxiety goes up. Yeah. What are some of the keys uh, going into that moment that drivers could, could take with them to make sure that it's as stress-free and, you know, painless as possible? Well, I try to, when I train, like today, when I trained your driver trainers, I, I try to tell them just be prepared by doing all the things you can ahead of time. You know, do your good walk arounds, make sure your pre-trips are quality pre-trips. They're just not walking around the truck so that you're comfortable with the fact that everything's working on your truck that you have control over. Um, make sure that your paperwork is organized. Make sure you know that you carry your CDL, that you, you know, all of the things that we're going to ask for. And then we kind of detail what the difference is between a level one, two, and three. And we just tell them if you're more organized, it makes that contact with the officer a little less, it's boring. And that's what you want. You want a boring contact. You want to be able to present everything to the officer and the officer doesn't have any questions and that'll go real smoothly. The opposite would be, you don't know any, where any of your paperwork is. You didn't do your walk around. You got brake lights out because you didn't plug in your pigtail. You got, or you have issues with your hours and you start kind of, you know, maybe not telling the truth. Well, now that becomes a, a little bit more challenging and exciting, if you would, inspection for the officer. <laughs> and then they're, they're a lot more ramped up about that. So, you know, because the law enforcement job is most of the time pretty mundane and boring. It, it has its moments. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, if you have a boring inspection, that's kind of where you as a driver want to be. Yeah. There are a couple top items that really, if, if you see this, that it jumps out to you and says, I need to go deeper and, and do a level one and, and ramp this up. Yeah. I mean, generally, if you're working at a fixed facility like the Kenosha scale, they had pits. So that's where I did my level one inspections. Okay. It was just you could do a better job. You didn't have to um, get on a creeper like the old days or whatever. Right. And, um, you know, you would you would make a decision that day, well, am I here doing level ones? Am I doing level twos? I mean, level threes would be out on the roadside, and they're usually associated with a traffic stop, something that the driver did wrong, you know, speeding, lane issues, falling too close, seatbelts, phones, all those kinds of things. But for the most part, you know, I, I think – Industry-wide or, or statewide, they would tell you that they like to use ISS, the inspection selection system, to determine who they're going to stop at a scale. I will say that maybe that's not always true because they don't really need a reason. They mm -hmm. can stop a truck just to do the inspection. So the ISS might be part of it. But, you know, if you see a truck and you kind of make your judgment based on what kind of shape the truck is in and maybe you can run that DOT number real quickly and see what their rating is, see what mm -hmm. they look like. And if they're, if they got a poor rating, obviously you're going to pull that in as opposed to a news bomb truck. I'm not going to mess with them because your ISS rating, we just looked at it. I think it's 20. It's, it's really, really low. So in theory, you want to touch the trucks that need to be touched. Yeah. I mean, cause the, the end goal really is to make sure that the roadways are safe. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And, and, 
if you spend all your time with with a carrier like this one, you really all the other ones are going down the road. Yeah. And you should if you're going to do a level one, let's do a level one on one that really needs to have the brakes looked at versus one that that the experience. I mean, you've had in the last two years. I think when I looked over 300 inspections, and you got an enormous amount of clean inspections. So you really shouldn't be spending your time with these guys. Yeah. You know, <laughs> which is good. You know, rep, carrier reputation is a big deal. I mean, yeah. it really is. Your care as a carrier, your drivers are the ones that generate that reputation. And if, and, and you know, for all you drivers out there, you're doing a good job. But it only takes one driver or a few drivers to do something really ridiculous, and that could change very fast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's nice to hear that and and have that affirmation that we are doing things well. But obviously, we don't want to get into a lull and right. and be complacent about those pre-trips and right. everything, making sure everything's in order, but I appreciate that. That's, it's nice. And it's, you know, give a pat on the back to our drivers as well. And our maintenance group for keeping everything top yeah, and in order. I would not say it if it wasn't true. So, I mean, I'm not <laughs> blowing smoke just cause you're our client. I mean, I've been to a lot of our clients that some of them are better than others, but you guys, I enjoy coming down here because this is, this is truly, we say, we talk about best in class this is best in class. A lot of people claim to be best in class. This is best in class down here. And that's, hopefully it stays that way, but that's up to you drivers. Yeah. Well, thanks. Any crazy situations that you ended up in that, whether during an inspection or something else that, you know, just was one of those, like you never expected that this was something that you would see. Um, Two, three o'clock in the morning when I was working a third shift, just, based on the fact that after bar time, you're not out generally looking for the OWI stuff. And, you know, there's a gap there between time to go home and, and something to do. Right. So, yeah. and I, one night I stopped this driver and it was just me and him in the scale. And <clears throat> we have to verify VIN numbers and that on your tractors. Right. And I had him in the scale and I, you know, forgot, I got to go back out and double check this VIN because I couldn't read my own handwriting. And <laughs> and I went, I said, you don't have any dogs in the truck because we're always kind of cognizant of sure. pets, you yep. know, because we don't want to get bit or we don't want to have to pepper spray your pet. And he says, no, I don't have any dogs in there. So I went out there and opened up the door and a little monkey jumped out. <laughs> right around my neck and i mean he had a death grip on my neck and i didn't it was nighttime and i had a flashlight and i thought is this like a miniature person jumping out man I, I and he was a nice little guy he didn't hurt me but then i came in and the driver he thought that was pretty funny and That's, it, it all ended funny. well but it did get my attention so yeah strange things happen you know i worked an area of the interstate between Racine and kenosha it was a busy road and there was a lot of weird things happened on that chunk of highway. So my wife was on that highway for a while cause she went up to school there in, oh. in Kenosha, but, uh, yep. but, uh, hopefully she wasn't ever. Well, that's where all the Illinois people bring their dead bodies. So <laughs> <laughs> we would find those guys too occasionally, you know? Oh my. So yeah, it was an, it, it, you learn a lot. You learn a lot really quickly because the bottom line is it's, it's busy and uh, there's a lot of strange things going on, and we work closely with the sheriff's departments. And so it was, you know, for a young guy, it was a great, great way to start my career. Yeah. So now that you're with H and I, uh, what experience are, are you using from your um, time as a officer? How are you u- utilizing that experience into your current position? Well, I'd say that's kind of going back to the compliance reviews I did, the audits that I did, and the roadsides, and I'm just trying to 
if a company wants to be a good company or improve, my goal is to just, you know, previously I'd walk in there and I'd do my thing and maybe they would get a case or a fine or maybe they wouldn't or a rating issue. Now I can go into that company and I can, I can just identify the issues that I would have identified, you know, four years ago, but I don't have to do the, there's no fines involved and, and I can just kind of steer them down the right path. Um, part of what I like to do when I get to in front of drivers is, is get the driver to identify with the officer and why the officer is doing what they're doing. Mm. Cause I think, um, the jobs are actually kind of similar, you know, I mean, for what we do, we spend a lot of time in a vehicle. Mm-hmm. We don't eat properly. Mm. You know, we don't get decent sleep. We don't. And, and there's a lot of, I mean, when I was working the road as a trooper, if I had an issue with somebody, um, you know, you get into a little tussling match with a drunk or something, it was going to be a driver that was going to stop and help me with a tire iron, you know, and I had mm. that happen a couple of times because, you know, law enforcement gets stretched pretty thin on, on the midnight shift. And so I, I think there's a, there can be a better relationship between the officers and the drivers. And that's kind of what I try to promote. I try to oh. make sure the drivers understand, well, if we're doing this, we're doing it because of this reason, not just because we're trying to, you know, mess with you or whatever. So, right. And if they understand that, and, 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 and the flip side is my work here has given me a great appreciation for what drivers deal with and what companies deal with. And, and so, you know, I mean, from the law enforcement perspective, you kind of didn't really worry too much about that, but now it is obviously what I do. So I've learned a ton from the carriers. I've learned what their obstacles are and what the things are that they really have to worry about. And it's, it's taught me a lot, taught me a greater appreciation for, you know, what companies have to deal with and drivers as well. Yeah. So when you're going into a company and, and performing an audit or review, what are some of the things specifically that you're actually going in and looking at and, and helping the company with? Well, I'll, I'll do it one of two ways. I'll actually do a, a review the exact same way I would have done it. So they can, it's kind of a rehearsal for them and I'll, I'll do, I, I won't be educational. I'll just do the review. In fact, I did that here several years ago and you know, there wasn't, a lot of education that needed to happen. You guys are pretty squared away. So I just did it as I would do a normal review and it was fine. There was no issues. You know, I looked at, I looked at, uh, driver qualification files, maintenance files, drug and alcohol testing, and the hours of service just to determine if you're within the guidelines and and everything's fine. But probably more of what I do is for carriers that are looking for a little bit of education and I'll do that review, but I'll, it'll be more of a teaching opportunity. So I'll say, bring in some driver files, let's go over them. And this is what's good. And this is what really you could shore up and we'll take a look at hours of service or we'll take a look at the maintenance files. We'll take a look at the maintenance facility and kind of see how the paperwork flow is and, and just use what I did previously to help them so that if they have to have a review, or like in the, in the case of Nussbaum, you know, they're not coming in here unless there's a, a catastrophic crash, fatality, or something like that. Or a driver complaint could get them in sure. here. And then, you know, they should be prepared either way. Because, you know, companies like this, you know, some, and I'm not saying this is where Nussbaum is, but sometimes they have to sit back and go, well, our CSA scores are really good. They're not coming here. Well, that's not always true, you know. One driver complaint, especially with ELDs now, can bring them in, and yeah. then they can find stuff. So you got to stay on top of it. So for uh, the typical company, what are some of the things that uh, tend to be the most 
easily overlooked or kind of gets let go a little bit. Yeah, I would say in paper log days, it was hours of service, you know, and um, and still now with, with ELDs and AOBRDs, that can be um, one of the big issues roadside is going to be unassigned miles where drivers are just not logging in. Um, personal conveyance use is being abused right now mm. roadside, and in some of those those companies, the drivers feel they can use personal conveyance when they can't. Right. And, you know, controlling drivers. And some of those companies, the biggest issue is controlling drivers and being able to, you know, discipline them or or at least track what they're doing in their hours of service. Um, if they're owner-operators, you know, making sure that their equipment is, is the way it's supposed to be because they can generate some real CSA issues with mm-hmm. their own trucks. Um. But from a compliance review standpoint, you know, one of the interesting things is that we probably the most enforced case everybody did was drug and alcohol violations. And, mm. you know, I, I say the reason we did that is because they were easy cases to take. They didn't require a lot of paperwork. And a lot of the things that you would do wrong could could bring a fine against the company. Um, we would see carriers that wouldn't update their driver lists or they wouldn't take drivers off or they wouldn't add drivers or Sometimes you go on the small carrier and they just, they weren't doing any drug and alcohol testing, especially in rural <laughs> Wisconsin or even rural Illinois, a small company. Well, I don't know that. My guys don't do drugs. I don't have to do that. So, um, but that was the most enforced case. Yet, ironically, it's probably the least seen violation on the road. Interesting. Drivers, drivers, yeah. drivers, truck drivers generally are not, they're not intoxicated. They're not on drugs. You know, that's the vast majority mm-hmm. of drivers don't do that. So um, it's kind of strange that that's what we did the most of, and it was the least problem out there on the road. It's interesting. I actually used an analogy the other day with somebody about professional drivers versus non-professional drivers. And uh, for me, I pilot a drone, and I've got my licensing and everything for that. And in in talking with the drone community, the people that are licensed and have gone through everything and done all the training and know all the rules – they're not the ones that you typically have to worry about so much. Right. It's it's the the other ones that think they've got it all figured out or, you know, they're just hobbyists or going just right. out and about. Those are the ones that are a little bit more concerning. Yeah. But I think that's interesting that, you know, yeah, it, the, you see the drivers are being responsible, generally speaking. They are. I mean, and, and keep in mind, you know, the over-the-road carriers are one segment of what we do. But we do, in, we, we do work with a lot of construction and a lot of those – other they're all regulated just like you guys are yeah but sometimes they have a tendency to not understand that so they have cdl drivers and maybe i have two or three drivers that are uh, you know delivering equipment or it's part of their job yep and the bottom line is maybe they're tripping up on their drug and alcohol or they just don't see it as as important as a as an over-the-road company would and they kind of let things kind of go by the wayside well they can get a compliance return review as well and then that's where we would see a company that maybe were missing annual inspections and they they weren't doing the drug and alcohol stuff properly they maybe didn't have any driver qualification files or weren't even checking their drivers to see if they had a valid cdl so crazy yeah it it seems crazy (laughs) when you're in this building in the in the world it's not crazy because you would get those you know i mean roadside they're a target too you get a mason or a landscaper or a construction company and sometimes you would find some really interesting things. Yeah. It's not because yeah. they're bad companies. It's just they don't consider themselves commercial drivers. Right, right. So Yeah, interesting. 
Now you mentioned uh, personal conveyance uh, uh, issues and hours of service is definitely, it's always a hot topic, especially amongst drivers. So I'm curious if you've got some specific examples with this personal conveyance misuse, uh, using it when you're not supposed to. Uh, we, I think we do a pretty good job with our drivers in, in explaining how all of these line items need to be portrayed right. and when to use them and when they can't be used. But you want to give some examples there? Yeah. I mean, I, we, we discussed this this morning and I, basically the company itself can restrict personal conveyance any way they want. Yes. So even though you're a driver and you hear, well, the rule says I can do this, this, and this, that doesn't mean anything when Nussbaum says, you know, well, we're going to restrict your personal conveyance to this many miles or whatever the case may be. So the company can have a policy that's more restrictive, but generally with, with some of our clients that I've been to, I see and what I hear from the roadside inspectors that are talking to me yet. So some of them think I'm the enemy and I don't know why we're supposed to be on the same side, <laughs> but um, they will tell me it's being abused and it's being abused because partly, you know, now that you can be laden and use personal conveyance, that was pretty much a no brainer before. If you, right. if you were loaded, you couldn't use it. And then yeah. for, from a roadside perspective, that was very easy to tell. Right. So if you're laden, you can't use it and you're in violation. And drivers knew that. Well, now that you can be laden, right? now we get into this situation where, well, drivers can use personal conveyance if they're out of hours and they're stuck at a shipper and they have to get to a safe haven or someplace right. where they can park. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that they can go to the first place they can get to if they're getting kicked off a lot. You know, Unfortunately, there's some officer discretion involved in that. Yeah. Well, and also it's not your first preferred location. Correct. Either. Right. Correct. It's the first safe haven or first location where you can get off the road and you can get your 10 hour yeah. break or whatever. So, um, we, we see that being abused. We see the fact that, you know, drivers, they'll, they'll unload and then they're an hour or two away from home and they'll just say, you know what, I'm just going to PC and I'm driving home. Well, the feds came out in November and said, uh, no, no, you cannot do that. So part of it is the federal DOT will, they'll ratchet it down now as they get questions and they'll say, well, no, you, you can't really do this and you can't, where before kind of left it open. I mean, there's no mileage limit on personal convenience, but it's going to have to, you know, it's going to have to make sense. It's going to have to be personal in nature and it can't enhance the carrier's operational readiness. And that's the words they use. So anytime an inspector on a roadside can say, no, this enhances noose bombs operational readiness because you're you're getting further in your in your trip back here or wherever yeah or your next load well then that's plain plainly not personal conveyance use yeah so i'm I'm curious you know and i think drivers would still contest okay i'm two hours away from home it's the end of the week and but i'm out of hours i just got finished loading up here right now i've got to sit overnight or for the next 10 hours before i can go Right. Get home when I could just, I'm not tired right now. I could go do this safely. What's the harm in doing this? Is there potential that we might see some other leniencies that would come into play eventually over time? Is that? Well, I wouldn't speak for the federal deal. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I would, I would say this, if, if there, you know, there's talk about revising the hours of service and maybe going to a split sleeper, a true split sleeper, like we used to have years ago, that might alleviate a lot of this. Um, 
and that would probably help with the parking problem. But from the personal conveyance standpoint, I, what I see carriers doing is when a driver is stuck a short distance away, the carrier then might send a mechanic or somebody with a pickup truck or something down to the driver. And that, of course, that person's got hours, and then the driver can drive a personal vehicle or a non, non-CMV, anything under 10000 and they'll get them home for the weekend. I see that quite, actually, quite often. Interesting. So um, in, in a lot of those cases, what was happening is for years when they were on paper, those drivers, you know, if you fudge a little bit here and there over the time, over a week's time, you can certainly, I mean, it would be technically a false log, but you can get enough time that on paper you could get yourself home and, yep. and, and this carrier would say, well, we've been doing this for 10 years, this route. And we haven't had a problem. Well, you've had the problem. You just didn't identify the problem. Well, right. now with an ELD or, or an AOBRD, it's it's there. Yeah. So then the driver's stopping, you know. So there there's a little bit of adjustment there, but I see that a lot. I see a lot of carriers saying, well, you know what, park the truck, we'll come down and get you, and, and then you can get home for the weekend. Yeah, and it'll be interesting as everybody is over to ELDs here uh, after the end of this year that to see how things kind of – play out over the it's next couple of years. It's going to be interesting, yeah. And and see what kind of lobbying happens at that point and how the FMCSA handles things and yeah. everything. So, Well, my my information is that a lot of people that believe that they're using ELDs do not those those devices are not meeting the requirements. So mm-hmm. then law enforcement is kind of calling everything an AOBRD if they if it doesn't. And then the big thing is the transfer of data in so if you, even though you bought it as an ELD from your vendor, you know, maybe it's not, maybe, and, and we'll see how that plays out at so the end of the year. It could be a looks like, smells like, sold like. But, but it doesn't meet the requirements. Yeah. And, you know, so if it doesn't meet the requirements at the end of now, we can call it an EOBRD. But after December, it's going to have to meet the ELD requirements. And, and you know, I, I kind of feel for the carriers because they're at the mercy of who that vendor is and they're trying to get the best deal. And it's on the federal list, but they were never vetted by the federal DOT. They were self-certified. So the problem is, is it really an ELD or is it not? So we'll see what January, we'll see what happens next year. <laughs> we have a little bit of kind of transition period there yeah, even, uh, exactly. especially with the enforcement that'll be interesting to see how it's and they, they will they'll give a grace there and i'm I, it's not like they're going to hammer everybody all the time but i just see it from what i hear it's maybe a little bit of an issue yeah so yeah. jeff um if there was a last bit of advice that you would give to our drivers in particular um just as they're going about their regular routine or meeting up with uh inspection point would you have I, anything to share? Yeah, I mean, I I think actions having consequences is probably the best way to put it. You know, I was just I was I was looking at the crash that just happened. I think in Colorado last week, where some I think four people were killed, and there's a lot of video floating around on that. And and you know, from my perspective, yeah, it's it's a tragedy that people were killed and and what happened, but. When you start to dig into it, it's the it's the prime example of actions and consequences. This driver, as it appears, um, was having brake issues, and he was a gentleman from Texas that probably wasn't real experienced, and and he was going down pretty steep grades, and he missed at least one or maybe two deceleration ramps, and there was there was road signs. In fact, there was the message boards telling him what these were. Yeah. 
the speed limit's 45 miles an hour, and he admitted to 85 when he when he struck all the stop traffic, you know. And when you look back at it, we have a combination of things going on there. We have a truck that had some brake issues. Um, maybe we had a driver that, that was inexperienced or didn't understand what was going on in Colorado with the geography there. And um, when I looked at their CSA record, their public CSA record, I pulled it up and looked, and there were several instances of where the driver uh, was unable to communicate in English. And they were cited for that. So now I'm wondering, and again, that's just me talking, but I'm wondering if if there was an ability to really comprehend what the road sign, what those message mm. board said, and and had, I mean, he didn't intend to hurt anybody that day. That's not the kind of guy, and we don't do that, but um, maybe he missed those ramps because he didn't know what they were, you know, and it could have saved, I mean, we have four people that are no longer walking the earth because yeah. of, because of, Maybe minor things, and that's the thing with drivers. I was to a lot of fatal crashes or serious crashes where, you know, if you do your walk around or if you just check those lights once in a while or, or you know, leave that phone alone or all those things, if you if you just do those little things right, there's a better chance that you're not going to have a issue or a problem. But, you know, we get sometimes complacent when yeah. it comes to that stuff. So, And it's hard in a CMV because you got a lot of rules you got to worry about. And they can hang you with a lot of different things. So there's a lot of opportunities there. Absolutely, but absolutely. Jeff, thanks again, and uh, appreciate you sharing your insight with us. And uh, we'll uh, see you next time you're around here. Awesome, sounds good. Thanks. You've been listening to Terminal Exchange, the official podcast show of Newsbomb Transportation. Newsbomb is an industry leader in over-the-road freight transportation. For more information on Nussbaum's award-winning truckload services and top-paying driving careers, go to Nussbaum.com or NussbaumJobs.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Terminal Exchange. New episodes arrive every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts and share a little love by writing us a review. Then go deeper into each exchange or listen to previous episodes at our podcast page, terminalexchange.org.